The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning. Well, thank you, worship team. Lots of um, songs about storms, which brings me to this. Do you have your sermon notes? Do you have those? If you don't have your sermon notes, raise your hand, please, and they will bring you because you need your sermon notes because you're not going to remember right over here, pastor's wife, you're, you're not going to remember, nor am I, all that is said today. So you need these notes. You need these notes, right? Fill them in, borrow a pen. Because had the disciples had Jesus's sermon notes, what'd you say? You're out of notes. I only made 60 of them. So if you want to run some more off, I'm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you have little faith. But anyway, if the disciples had had sermon notes before they got in the boat to cross the sea, where the storm came, the storm came, and Jesus spoke to the winds and he spoke to the waves and he said, peace, be still, and it was a great calm and immediately they were at the shore, okay? So if we did a retake on that, and one of the disciples had been taking notes on what Jesus said, he would have said, whoa, hey guys, whoa, whoa, don't wake him, don't wake him. It says right here on the sermon notes, I, have, I wrote this down, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. You see what it says right there, guys? It's wet, but let us go. What does that mean, let us go to the other side? It means we don't know to, need to go to him and say, we're perishing, don't you care, we're going to drown. Because what did Jesus say? Let us go to the other side. And he meant that, and they did. But they didn't have their sermon notes, and you need to have them. So that's it. Please fill them in as we go along. Okay, I have two things to say. Number one, I was going to say Pastor Greg is going to be back. Does this make me a prophet? Yes. Okay. And the other thing that I want to say is we have a long way to go. Now, I'm not talking about the sermon notes, but I'm talking about this life and spiritual growth. We have a long way to go. This is Pilgrim's Progress, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. No one ever drifts into spiritual maturity. It's... It's not a cakewalk, okay? It's a battle walk. You need to understand that. And growing in spiritual maturity is against the wind all the way. It's against the current all the way. No one drifts into spiritual maturity. Now, here's what we need to know. I want you to think of this. Life is short. Eternity is long. The measure of our spiritual rewards in heaven is determined by our spiritual growth in this 
life. As, as the theologians say it, it's like this, okay? Uh, by the way, just, just a little note. If you've ever called R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul or something else, it's okay. But if you read his books, he's going to tell you that his name is R.C. Sproul, and he reminds us that it rhymes with soul. Sproul, soul. So if you've misused his name, it's okay because he's in heaven. I'm sure he's forgiven you, but it's R.C. Sproul. Well, the theologians say it, say it quite like this, if I can. They say that the measure of our grace in growth in this world determines the measure of our receiving rewards in heaven. I wrote it down. Here it is. Okay. And here's another theologian said it this way, and this is by Edmund Herbe. Pastor, do you have any books in your study by a guy named Hybert? It's okay because John Olson one time rebuked me and said it's Air Bay because he's French. So you just got to get the names right. Sproul Air Bay. But he said this. Listen carefully. You can write it down. The reward of grace hereafter shall correspond to the work of grace here. I'm going to read that again. The reward of grace hereafter shall correspond to the work of grace here. Paul's passionate desire in Philippians, if you know the book well, chapter 3, was to lay hold of all of that for which Christ laid hold of him. It's a very, very strong word in the Greek. When Christ laid hold of Paul, it means to take down by force. When you watch the Super Bowl and you notice that there's a guy running for the, for the uh, end with a football and somebody comes up behind him and he doesn't just say, excuse me, would you please stop right now and fall down? He lays hold of him and he throws him on the ground and sometimes they have a few words to say. We don't hear what they are, but it's like he's down. That, that person... God laid hold of. Well, Paul is saying, when God laid hold of me, he took such firm hold that he'll never let go. And I, I want to lay hold of him in that same measure. I want to grasp him with all my might. So the question is, can we be like Habakkuk, who said, the Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me on my high places. Can we experience that in this life? We can. Can we lay hold of everything that God has laid hold of us for? Yes. My study and your study, Pastor, is filled with books who never have arrived, as Paul said, but they were pressing on that they might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of them. And that is what Peter is telling us in this book. In the first chapter, Peter. Now, we have to love, uh, have to love Peter because he was born with three feet. And you didn't know that. He walked with two, but one he always put in his mouth all the time. All the time. 
I mean, uh, let's, let's, let's just say with Peter, um, he was all in. Can we say that? Peter, all in. Didn't matter, you know? Lord talks to him and says, get behind me, Satan. It's like, Peter's like, what? What did I just say? Oh, that's when he didn't want him to go to the cross. He didn't have the whole picture. Or when Peter said, though everybody denies you, I will never deny you. And a few hours later, what do we have? I don't know the man. Who? Jesus? Nah, never heard of him. Even scared of a little maid, little girl. You're one of them, I can tell, because you're a Galilean. Uh-uh, I don't know the guy. Well, three denials, right? And three times the Lord asks him, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-denying, sacrificial love? And Peter comes back and says, I phileo you. I like you a lot. But he wouldn't be at that point where he said before, they'll all forsake you. I won't. I'm all in. And it was in Peter's weakness and self-understanding that the Lord commissioned him for three things. You denied me three times. This is grace. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, shepherd my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Thank you. You can raise your hand now because we have notes back there. Good, thank you. So, Simon Peter, let's call him Sandman. Let's call him Sandman because that's what Peter was. Always blown about by winds of emotion and the winds of circumstances and Peter was all over the place right some in the right place some in the wrong place but he was all over the place it was like sand we find that the Lord has to rebuke him but the Lord restores him because he can see Peter's heart but but in the Gospels he was no tower of strength but isn't it interesting that when the Lord first meets Peter, right? In John, he says, you are Simon, his given name. You shall be called Peter, which means what? Rock. Rock. Yeah. And whenever the Lord had to talk to Simon, he would usually do it like parents do. He would say, Simon, Simon, check it out in your Bible. It's like, Simon, no, no, no. Simon, focus on this. Okay. But he was rock man. And when we get into the book of Acts after Pentecost and the Spirit of God comes on Peter, ho! he stands and he preaches. He's not afraid of anyone. And tradition has it that when he was martyred, he said, martyr me upside down. I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. Turn me upside down. I'm not worthy. But, but he, was, he was martyred. Well, this is Sandman. The Lord patiently working with him in the areas of spiritual growth and showing him where he needed to grow. We have the, we have the day of Pentecost when he's anointed with the Spirit of God. And he steps forth to let the world know this man you crucified God raised from the dead he is the Messiah and what how many were saved that first day 3,000 I always think of it this way this is grace three denials okay three reinstatements 
33,000 saved. God will do in your life infinitely beyond your highest hopes, prayers, or dreams. He just wants you to be all in. And notice what he calls himself. First, a servant. And in the Greek, the word means slave, which means you have no rights of your own. I'm his, and I'll do whatever he says. And then he says, but I'm an apostle, which is the highest dignity that a person could have at that time because he's one of the foundation stones for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our lives, God grants us humility to serve him and dignity for doing it in a way that honors him. Don't you want to live like that? I want to live like that. Introduction. Simon Peter. Sandman becoming rock man. Now, we go through this life like paupers. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Do you know that? We live like paupers. When I rode through... Yellowstone on a, what color is that first motorcycle? Oh, it's yellow, okay. All right. uh, the only way I could get that was basically getting one that would be bright when I turned 50 so that people would see me coming because I didn't want to die and I had a bunch of kids and a wife that would be concerned about me so I got the brightest one I could find. And I rode it for about 10 years. You rode it through Yellowstone. Do you know how many bags are on that thing? Three bags. I mean, everything but the kitchen what? Sink. Yeah. Yeah. I had to sell it. Okay. I did. After 10 years, I had to sell it. The one on the right, it's not as new, but a dear friend of mine had great compassion on me and said, Jack hasn't ridden a motorcycle in a few years. I'm going to buy him a 1985 Aspen Cade, which I, I have now. It still has three bags. So if I decide to go on a trip, I will not be lacking. I will have plentiful provisions, whether it's through Yellowstone or around the neighborhood. Let me tell you what you have. This is Peter saying to those, as you see your Bible, that these are the provisions that God has given us. They're highlighted faith and grace and peace and power and a calling and promises, divine nature. That's yours. Those are the provisions that God has given us. So I want to talk to you about them. First one, divine faith. It's a gift. When my daughter Emily was three years old, I took her to the Charleston Christian School and I put her, and I know you know the story, but I put her on the communion table. That's not a sin, is it? Okay. Put her on the communion table, and, and I said to her when she was three years old, and I was teaching the kids, I said, Emily, Daddy's going to back up a few feet, and I just want you to jump into my arms, and Emily, she's off that thing. Did I catch her? You know I did. I called. She came. I said, Okay. The kids were like, whoa. I said, but watch this. And we hadn't rehearsed this, rehearsed it at all, but I blindfolded her. 
I said, can you see daddy? No, I can't see you. And I backed up the same number of feet and I said, jump off. Instantly, she flings herself into the air. And what do I do? I catch her. I called, she came. Why? She heard my voice and she responded. Faith is a gift from God. It is, it is a gift, Peter tells us in the Greek, given by divine allotment. It is, it is the gift of a sovereign given to those subjects because he desires to give it. Faith is a gift from God, and he never takes it back. And that is what God has given us, a trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when, when you leaped into his arms and he caught you, you can be sure he will never, never let you go. And then he says we have this divine grace this is unlimited assistance. John 1.16 says, and we have grace upon grace upon grace. When you go to the beach and you see the waves coming in, wave after wave after wave after wave, that's grace. Because once God has poured grace out on this, this and the next one and the next one, and it's never ending. It's larger than the ocean. It's unlimited assistance. I've raised teenagers. I had AAA. Roadside assistance when my two boys started driving. They had lots of problems. Locking keys in the car, needing a tire changed, uh, running out of gas. This is two teenagers, right? And, and I put them all under me, put them all under me. And AAA called me one time and said, Mr. White, we hate to tell you this, but you're canceled. This is the beginning of cancel culture. It was right there at that moment. They said, we've canceled you. I said, what's up? I said, well, it's too much assistance for the money. You know. AAA doesn't go broke, does it? I don't know. That's what they told me. And they put me on probation. It's true. I called back a year later, and I said, this is Mr. White again. Uh, no. I'm telling the truth. I was on AAA probation. I'm AMAC now. Anybody AMAC? Okay, I'm just saying. I'm on AMAC now. Association for Mature People or something. I don't know how I got that. But God tells us there is grace for every need, every moment of your life, from the moment of salvation to the moment of glory, there is unlimited assistance. It's your homework to go look up the verses. And then we have this divine peace. Let's just say right now, for every worry that you have, and I know you have them, and I could wave my hand and I could say, okay, for every worry you have, you get a wart. How many of you here would have warts? They'd be all over the place, right? You couldn't hide them. Warts, right. Well, I want you to know this. God's peace is worry wart cream. God's peace in Philippians, whether it's where, where Paul tells us be anxious for 
what? What's that word? Be anxious for, oh my, you said it, I didn't. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with what? Because God's already going to answer it. So you just go ahead and thank him for it because it's, the answer is on the way. Peace, right? It's where, or Isaiah 26, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Oh, and our minds are here, you know, and all this stuff. There's no peace focused on him, there's peace. Why? Because he's in control, is he not? Yeah. God raised him up, Ephesians 1, and seated him at the right hand of God, far above <clears throat> all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is a name, not only in this age, but in the ages to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the church, which is his body connected to him which is the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways. So if you're not filled with peace, then you're just not trusting him. I'm just telling you that right now because he can be trusted. And then, and then we have this divine power, okay? That's what Peter says, divine power. It's the word dynamos, which is where we get the word what? Dynamite, yes. When I go down to Camp Victory, and I usually do things down there that are very strange at Camp Victory, but when I take those M80s, how many ever knows what, a, what's an M80? Everybody, okay, they don't make them anymore. You know what to make now? M70s. Don't mess with me. I, do, I take two M70s and twist them together. I get an M140. And I, and I take apart a stopwatch, take it apart, throw it in a metal trash can, put a cinder block on top, Lift up the side, put my M140 in there. Last time I did it, it blew the cinder block, real cinder block, not brick, cinder block off the top of that and landed on the floor of the chapel. Nothing broke, nothing broke. Chapel at the old Charleston Christian School got burned because of some of my, my antics, but, but it didn't break. But I'm just saying. And then I, I reached in there and pulled out a perfectly functioning stopwatch and said, creation is a lie. The Big Bang Theory is true because I just proved it. What do you think the kids said? Show us, show us what's in there. Oh, no, you don't need to know that. So I empty it and it's all the pieces there. Point is power. If an M140 can blow a cinder block off the top of a metal trash can, imagine what the power of God can do in your life. Anybody know Psalm 18:1? I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Why? Because he is the strength. I'm the recipient of that power. Okay. Or Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, when Paul prays that God would open the eyes of, of the people of God, he says that God would cause you to know the hope to which he's called you to be with Christ and like Christ. And the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us were precious to him, more precious than we'll ever know, blood-bought. And then he says, and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So I'm saying that the power of divinity flows through our spiritual veins. If we're weak, 
It's because we're trusting in ourselves. But there's enough power in us for us to walk on water. Didn't Peter do that? Yeah. Peter walked on water, except when he started to say, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Walking on water? Wow. And he looked at the winds, he looked at the waves, and you know the rest of the story, right? We're going down more than we're walking on water. But there's this divine power in our lives that God gives us because it's, it's this provision that he gives us the moment we are saved. Acts 1.8, promise, all right? But you shall receive, Acts 1.8, look it up. What is it? Power. Oh, really? And you shall be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, the uttermost part. Power. Yeah. And not only that, we have this divine calling. Yeah. When the Spirit of God opens our eyes to who Christ is, there is this attraction that draws us to Christ. It's part of an eternal plan that God purposed before the creation of the heavens and the earth made real in time in our lives when we are called by him. We're attracted to him, we put our trust in him, and we're adopted, and you know what that means? We're his forever and ever and ever and ever. And then we have these divine promises. Wow exceedingly great and precious promises, it says. Exceed, in other words, precious beyond estimation. Yeah. John Bunyan said there's enough promises in the Bible to be able to step on every one of them on our way to heaven like stepping stones. Standing on the promises, okay, well, let's start walking, walking on the promises. God, you said this. God, you said this. God, you said this. God, you said this. Those are the promises. You need to find them. You need to find them. And then you need to highlight them. And then you need to hold on to them. And then you need to herald them to others. But there are these promises that are exceedingly great and precious. Wow. Joshua lived on the promises of God. We could say more about that, but we have so far to go. How about this one? Do you know right now we have God's divine presence? Yeah. John 14, 20. In that day, you will know, resurrection, you will know that I am in the Father. Okay, got it. You are in me, and I am in you. Wow. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father. I've been resurrected to his, his right hand, and you're in me, seated in Christ in the heavenlies. And I am in you in this world until it's all completed. We have this divine presence of Christ in our lives. I mean, you know, most of you here Baptists, but you should be dancing like the little girl in green last week. What was her name again? Wow. Is she here today? I'm just saying that they all did good, but Pastor Greg, you should have seen her. 
I'm just telling you, this girl was in the moment. It was like, and I told the people here, I said, you know, this is us when we get to heaven. Why wait till then? But that she was just like, I'm here and this is it. And I'm doing this. And it's like, you could say, do you really believe those things you were singing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you could tell it. I love it. We have these plentiful provisions. So, so our backpacks are stocks. So now. Are we going forward or are we going to go backwards? Well, we're going to go forwards. What do we do? These are the things that God wants to work into our lives. So here they are. He says, you have this faith. That's the starting line, right? But to that faith supply moral excellence. To moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, kindness, love. This is where we should be focusing. So let's talk about it real quick, okay? Oh, hmm, yes. Peter Rabbit. God doesn't work in our lives unless we are passionate about working with him. That's why you're in the circumstances and situations you are right now. The tough stuff, the storms, okay? God places you there so that he will get your attention, so that you'll want these things in reality in your life. Just like Peter Rabbit. Let's just talk to him about a minute, okay? This is deep theology, all right? I'm just saying. But Peter Rabbit, he had three sisters. Flopsy, mopsy, see, you know your theology, right? And they were good little bunnies, right? So girls, don't let it go to your head. But I'm just saying, they were good. Peter, on the other hand, I can identify with, right? Peter Rabbit. And he's told by his mother, don't, don't go into Mr. Brigger's garden, right? Don't go, because he's going to get you and put you in mincemeat. And Peter goes, oh, yes. I didn't know what I was going to do today, but I got it now. And he goes into Mr. McGregor's garden, and he's eating all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, it's great. Yeah, till Mr. McGregor sees him. Stop, thief, stop, thief. And, 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 in, his, and in, his, in his fear, he runs, and he gets caught in a, he gets caught in a, gooseberry net. All right, go back and read the book. He gets caught in a gooseberry net. Okay, there it is right there. He gets caught in a gooseberry net. And he's struggling. The robins come along. You just need people in your life at times like this, don't you? You're in your gooseberry net and you can't get out. And the robins, <clears throat> or the bluebirds, they, listen, they implored Peter to exert himself. Yeah, that's what they did. They implored him to exert himself, which he did. But he lost his jacket and saved his life. That's okay, right? Joseph. But anyway, here he is. But the word is in the word of God when it says giving all diligence. It means that you and I must apply everything within us to work with God as he works in our lives. Do you see that? So, so what is it that God wants to work into our lives? 
the valor of David. In your Bible, it may say virtue. The word means, in the Greek, the moral heroism to stand up and to step out like David and to confront the giants in your life and in this world. It's the word valor. It's what, it's what people in the, in the services get for incredible bravery. That's the word. The first thing he says you need valor. You need a spiritual courage. That is the first step in walking with God in a way that honors him. Yeah. It's not easy, especially when you have certain friends. I remember shortly after I got saved, being at a party, smoking stuff, you know, and I, I was saved, and these are the only friends I had, and I thought to myself, boy, I used to enjoy this. I used to be the life of the party, and I'm miserable. What am I doing here? I don't know. Do I have any Christian friends? Not a one. I got up. I walked out of that room. I walked out. I said, this is just wrong. I never saw that before. That was my first step because then my friend said, whoa, what's wrong with Jack? And they left me. But I'm just saying that it is the ability to determine in your life that you're going to stand against all that is evil in the world, in your own flesh. And yes, we do fail. God says, stand up step out and be like David rather than all the others. And what did, David was on fire, right? He called him this uncircumcised Philistine, defying the armies of the living God. I'm taking him out. I'm taking him out. Did he? Oh, yeah. We make slings at our school. We put Goliath's head way on top of a ladder. Not to really. It's a beach ball. We make slings and we have jumbo marshmallows. Using rocks for elementary kids who've never used a sling is just not smart. <laughs> I use jumbo marshmallows. It's divine wisdom. But there's this valor that David had. And then we have this knowledge of Solomon. God wants us to add to this valor a knowledge of the word of God and the God of the word. We have to have knowledge, which means if you get up in the morning and you make excuses for not spending time in the word of God, this is where it stops, right here. You need to know. And oh, the New Testament talks about the importance of spiritual knowledge. Colossians 1.10. Paul gets on his knees and he prays. He says, I pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way and increasing in an intimate, personal knowledge of God. That's what Paul prays for. And then we have the self-control of Joseph. Don't you want that? Potiphar's wife, Day after day after day after day, tempting him. Joseph could have said, oh, forget this, just once, then she'll leave me alone. What did he do? He fled. 
like Peter Rabbit, he left his jacket behind, but he saved his dignity because he fled from the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, self-control. Yeah, Paul talks about a runner running in a race and, and making sure that there's nothing that hinders him from running the way God wants him to run. He says, I beat myself up. Remember that? Yeah. I take my body and make it my slave so that while having preached to others, I may not be disqualified, set on the bench. My greatest fear, having taught kids for now 42 years, and somebody saying, do you hear what happened to Mr. White? Something shameful. God forbid. But we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And we need a self-control that's drastic. That's why Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, what? Put it in your pocket? No. We need to deal with sin as if it were a life and death matter. And it is. And then we have the endurance of Job. <sighs> You may be in something right now that you say to the Lord, I'd like out now. I'm sure Job said that quite a bit, right? Yeah. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Give me some of that Job, right? The endurance of Job. It means to stay under as long as God allows. Here's the great thing about God. He's got one hand on the thermostat of our trials and the other on the timer. And he makes no mistakes. With God, it's like, oh, no, whoops. Okay, now, the three Hebrew boys in the furnace, right? Trusting God, yeah. Heated seven times hotter. God's in control. In there, who do they meet while they're in the furnace? Yeah. A theophany, pre-incarnate appearing of Christ. I just wish I was in there with him. Well, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have said, hey, guys, watch this. My hands are not burning up. Look at that. And then I would say to him, you know, we're in the flames right now. We're in, we're in the flames here. Look at this. Not a hair on my head of sins. And they'd say, are you sure about that? But it's just that God gives us this endurance and wherever he's called us to, to be under pressure, he's got one hand on the thermostat, won't get hotter than he allows, he's got the other on the timer. And when he's accomplished what he wants to accomplish, then you come out much richer and deeper and more in love with God for his faithfulness. Yes. How about this? What else is it? Yeah. How about... The godliness of Daniel. That's what the verses say there. Do you remember when they tried to trick Daniel and they couldn't get anything on him? They said, you know what? We're going to find something that has to do with, with the law of his God or something, you know? Well, so the king makes a decree that nobody prays for, was it a month, except to Nebuchadnezzar. What is, and, and what does Daniel do? How many times a day? Yeah. 
And they're, they're back there in the curtain saying, gotcha! And he's like, what? You broke the king's command. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> There's another king. There's another king. Way bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's gold image was 90 by 9. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, pure gold. And everybody in the whole kingdom of that time looked at that statue and said, boy, that's a big statue. And three guys out there, Hananiah, Shananiah, and Israel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they look at that statue, and then they look up to the heavens, and they say, you know, that statue's really small, because our God's way bigger. Let's stand. And you know the rest of that story. But Daniel was a godly man. He wouldn't go the way of the world. His heart's desire was devotion to God. And that's what the word means. Godliness means devoted to God. All in, 100%. And then the kindness of Jonathan. Imagine the Old Testament. Imagine David without Jonathan. Wow. Oh, how kind. Oh, how kind Jonathan was to David. We need that kind of kindness in our lives. And the love of Paul. When you read Romans 9, you'll be shocked because Paul says, I wish that I myself could be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, the Jews. What's he saying? He said, if I could lose my salvation and the Jews would come to Christ, my brethren, according to the flesh, he said, I'd give it up. Let me tell you. You don't say that unless the love of God, Calvary love, has laid hold of your heart. It's like those five boys, five young men killed by the Alca Indians in Ecuador, right? Yeah. One was Ed McCulley. Ed McCulley's father after the death of the five and his son, Ed McCulley's father was praying with William McDonald, a pastor, a writer. And as they're praying, they're praying for the salvation of, of the Alka Indians, the Wadani tribe. And he says, oh God, God, would you please save those people who killed my son so that I can wrap my arms around them and to know that they're loved by the same God that I love. That's a true story. Save them that I might wrap my arms around them and love them with the love of Christ. Who does that? Unless the love of Christ has consumed you as it did Ed McCulley and his father. Yeah. So every time we take a step in God's direction, Satan would like to hinder us. And Peter says, if you're not growing spiritually, if you're not, you will become useless and fruitless. You will become blind and you will forget that you were purged from your old sins. This is very serious. Yeah. Perilous pitfalls are out there. 
Yeah. What he's saying is, on these perilous pitfalls, that, that if you are not growing spiritually, you can get to the point where you're useless to God. You can get there. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, Jesus said in John 15. This is terrifying to me. And then we can be spiritually fruitless. A Christian who is not useful to God because he's not bearing fruit in his life. Peter says, if you're not giving all diligence to grow spiritually and pursue the things of God, you can become fruitless. And you can have spiritual myopia. You can see just the things that are right in front of you, the things that that appeal to your fleshly nature, even as a Christian. It's like, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? It's a myopia. It's like, okay, I'm looking right here. And Peter says, you know, it's possible to just be concerned about the present rather than looking to the eternal rewards that await you. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But if not, the things of the world can crowd out Christ, and we can just be thinking about earthly things and spiritual amnesia. Peter says something very serious. He says, you can forget that you were purged from your old sins. It's not talking about loss of salvation. Peter is saying that the grip of redemption will have lost its grip in your heart. You will have doubts. You will wonder, am I really saved? Spiritual amnesia. Does that terrify you? That terrifies me. If I am not pursuing spiritual growth through my personal walk with God and fellowship with believers and Bible study and the means of grace that God has given us, we can end up in this place where we're useless and fruitless, having spiritual myopia and spiritual amnesia. So when your pastor pours out his heart as he opens the word of God, you know that he understands that this is a possibility because every step we take toward God, there's pushback from the evil one. There's pushback. He doesn't want you to make any progress. We're almost done. You've been very patient. Let's end up. How about precious prospects? Because this is where Peter's going. He's saying, you know, you need to know the end game. You need to know where all of this is leading. Therefore, brethren, he says it again, be all the more diligent. Peter Rabbit, imploring Peter to exert himself. Peter says, please. Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Oh, that's what I want. Solid footing. Proverbs 4. Solid footing. (laughs) 
never stumble out of the way into discouragement, despair. You can just walk with God through this world. What an invitation. And then he says, in the end, in the end, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. It's the same word that abundantly supplied where Peter says that you need to supply your God-given faith with that list. Same word. Meaning, in the measure that you grow spiritually in this life will determine the measure of your spiritual rewards in the next. No do-overs. If you're going to grow spiritually, it's going to be now. So we have these last three. Yeah. A resident witness. If we're walking with God and growing spiritually, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are what? We are the sons and daughters of God. That's a resident witness. That's in me saying, God, I know I'm yours because I'm growing spiritually. Resident witness. Holy Spirit, cause me to know and cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You're my daddy. And you're going to provide everything I need. That's a resident. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. To make God the Father more real to you than you could ever, ever imagine. And a righteous walk. Yeah. Not stumbling. Proverbs 4.18 just happens to be my life first. But it says the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In other words, the longer we live, the more light we have to know where to put our feet in this dark, fallen world and to walk righteously so that people look at your life and say, wow, I want to be like you. I want to be like, oh, test. Who did we talk about last time we were here? Anybody know? Hudson Taylor, thank you. Star on your chart. Very good. Hudson Taylor. Yes. Yes. And Danielle, when, uh, when your mom passed, and uh, I was called the night of. It's okay, Greg. You know. And I, within a half a second, I thought, Fanny Crosby. And Greg, I don't know if you know it, but I didn't know that Danielle's mother had died. You might not have told me that. I don't think so. Because when I, and you may have too, but I remember when I came and I said, I'm speaking on Fanny Crosby, they said, yeah, that would be good because Danielle's mother just went to be with the Lord and there was a lot of similarities between her faithfulness and your mom's faithfulness. Yeah. But this one, a rich welcome. Back in the days of Paul, they had the Olympics the Olympic Games. Do you know what gymnasium means? I bet you don't. You're going to go out here smart. It means to train naked. Don't let anybody hear that, but just gymnasium means to train, to train naked. I, I don't know. So I've been told that when they 
were part of the Olympic Games, they didn't wear any clothes. That's what I've heard. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to see, but that's what I've been told. They didn't. It would slow them down in their feats, okay? Don't get any ideas. But here's what I know. What would happen is if someone from your town went to the Olympic Games and you won, I don't think you got a gold, you got a, a wreath, didn't you, right? Okay. But when word got back to your hometown that you from that town could be Ravenel, Roundo, something like that, they, they would go to the city wall and they would tear out the bricks of the city wall and they would build a special entrance in your honor. So when you got back to the city, when you walked in to your hometown, you would hear the applause of everyone in your town, honoring you for your amazing victories and feats at the games. They would applaud you. When I graduated from the College of Charleston, and all these people come up there and get their diploma, all the families and the relatives and all that. Applause. I remember this. Does it hurt? But when I, got, when I got my diploma from the College of Charleston, I had to walk out of two classes, and it was a trial as a young Christian. But I heard this. It was my dad. It was my dad. He paid for it. It was my dad, but I heard it. And all the others were all this applause, you know? I said, you know, once is enough. You know, when I get to heaven, if God wills, I would like an applause. Wouldn't you? Well done. Well done. And then to hear those very words from our Savior, well done and good and faithful servant. This is all serious stuff. But as we started in the beginning, Habakkuk knew that bad things were going to happen. You have to read chapter 3. And he says, though this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens, and though it's the worst possible scenario of life, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in my sovereign God because he is my strength. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Last thing I'll say. Riding that motorcycle through Yellowstone, as I'm going around a curve one time, I'm looking up on the side of this cliff, and some hundred feet up on a little tiny ledge, there's a goat. And I stopped my motorcycle and I thought, he's going to fall. Take it easy up there. And the goat was like, what? This is my environment. This is what I do. Oh, look at the size of this ledge. My feet were made for this. And he just walks around on this little tiny ledge, making his journey to wherever he's going. It's like, hey, it's my environment. God gave me these legs, these feet. Oh, I'm slipping. I'm good. 
I'm on a journey, excuse me. You know, you get back on your motorcycle, I'm going to continue on mine. But I just remember looking at that goat up there and thinking he's going to fall and then reading this and finding out no because God gave him non-falling goat feet. Well, that's what God has given us, right? It says he makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to go on the heights. That's spiritual growth. That's what God wants for us. Onward and upward, onward and upward, until the last step is the step that we take into glory, right? And you'll look back and say, it was worth it all, right? And you'll say, he has done all things well, because you walked with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Peter, who knew about failure, but he knew a faithful Savior, a patient, faithful Savior. Would you make us like Peter and take these words to heart and God enable us to grow spiritually as much as possible to give all diligence to our souls and so that we will become all that you created us to be, all that you redeemed us to be, all that you anointed us with your spirit to be because you will get the glory and you are worthy of it all in Jesus' name.